So yes, here we are. This is the starting officially with the first official, <laughs> to be redundant, um, Iris of R.I. podcast. My name is Zykon Ebenflow, and then some other names, and then Newman, and then I'm interviewing my mentor. That's what, that's what I'm telling people you are in my life. Um, mentor, book mentor, writing mentor, Marquise Liddell who I met, uh, I think it's only been like a couple months, realistically, like four, maybe? Five? Four or five? It sounds right to me. Maybe. It might have only been like three, four or three. I don't know. It, it feels like it's been longer, though, for certain. It's been a, been a lifetime, right? No. But uh, I think it's, I think I met you originally coming back, like the beginning or end of october and then we didn't start i've only been to one of those um workshops unfortunately i definitely should have gone to the one yesterday i totally just fucking blew a blew a fuse or dropped the ball and did, did show up but uh yeah that is that is how i know you and this is we're doing this podcast for the sake of art and then also because I think me personally at least like trying to gain some semblance of notoriety that people know about me and can get put things in front of them that they're like oh this is interesting he's got good ideas or he's making good art and I want to support him and he's giving me something and a reason to do that so that this is this is why this is what we're doing here um now, you wrote up beautiful questions. You made it way easier for me. I wrote some down too, but you got a lot of questions here, which is beautiful. Um, so, did I just start right off the rip, or unless you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll let you know the viewers know a little bit who I am if they don't happen to know. Um, so you mentioned my name is Marquise Little. Uh, unfortunately, it's not as fancy as Liddell, though that's how everyone pronounces it. No, I think I'm descended from Scots who are not so sophisticated, as I am told by uh, the English people I, I tend to talk to. Um, <laughs> but no, so um, I'm an author, I'm an editor. Um, I'm also a writing mentor now. I do story coaching, uh, which is something that is quite an experience and I'm very honored to do. I'm, I'm actually really grateful um, that uh, I've been able to work with you, Zycon. Um, it's It's been a trip, man. Uh, it, it's, really, it's really terrific to actually get to dig into somebody else's work and to help them bring that really into its fullest potential being. Um, and there is a ton of potential that that people have. And so, uh, so that's what I'm doing. I've been an educator in the past. I've taught uh, a few different uh, universities, uh, both in person and online, uh, mostly English composition. I've taught literature as well, which was a lot of fun. Um, and I'll probably end up bringing it up quite a bit. Uh, what else? I don't know if there's too much else to say about me. If, if you want to check out more, you can go over to my website, wildoutlet.com and just look around and you get a good feel for, for who I am. Yeah. Uh, I think what was the first question I put down? I think it was uh, like, what is art? Was it what is art? Was that like the first where I let, let off? Yeah, yeah. What, what, is, what is art to you? That was what I was going to start with. Yeah, absolutely. What is what is art to you, Marquis? Art to me. Uh, so this is like a, you know, this is a really big question. You know, I think we if we answer this, um, we'll both earn some type of prize today by, from like, I don't know, several, uh, several nations, governments. But what is art? 
I've thought a lot about it actually, and I have um, a decent self-study background in Nietzsche where I get a lot of my ideas from. And he studied etymology, the root of language. And when you look into the roots of language, you actually find a lot of meaning. Now, you might think, oh, this is just the arbitrary and partially random evolution of words across peoples. It, it doesn't mean anything. But that's actually not true. You know, when we think about language, um, we are looking at the way that peoples who came before us experienced the world and, try, and tried to encapsulate it conceptually within a definition. Um, and as we look as, at how that changes, that is an expression of how people interfaced with reality and how their ideas got a firmer and sometimes looser grasp at what they were thinking about. And that brings us around art, right? Like, what is art? And it really, it has the same root as things like artifice and artificial, which to us now in this age where everything is hyper artificial, everything is a simulacrum, everything is digital, uh, most people live in cities that are, you know, essentially gigantic concrete slabs stacked on top of one another, right? We have a a really negative connotation with um, anything artificial uh, or anything that's an artifice. It feels to us to be fake as opposed to nature, which is real. But if you go back in time, that wasn't always the case. And in fact, artificial used to be a compliment. And why? Because it shares a root with art. And you, and you think about it, what was, you know, there is great um, beauty in nature, but also you have mankind struggling to live in nature as it tries constantly, uh, not only to feed us, but to kill us. And you had people mm. who went above and beyond and built things like these massive, beautiful cathedrals um, that you might get to see if you visit like places older than America or like 200 years old, right? You go to places that are thousands of years old. Um, you have things like the Colosseum in Rome. Um, yeah. Wait, was it Notre Dame that burned down in France? I can't remember. Uh, uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Maybe. But you, before it burned, um, yeah, you had these these great edifices, and there's beauty in that. And coming back around to Nietzsche, what I what I think art is, I think art mm -hmm. most fundamentally is a kind of um, human uh, imposition onto the natural world that brings something into being that is in accord with the transcendent. That sounds really fancy, but you can think about it this way. Like we are human beings. We encounter objects as they uh, are in their natural state. Um, and then we interface with those objects, whether that be paint or sculpture, whether that be vibrations, like if you're playing a musical instrument or uh, the arrangement of um, sound into words, right? Um, or doing that with text on a page. doesn't really matter what the, the medium is most fundamentally, but we are interfacing with nature in a human way. And that's kind of like order coming to bear on chaos. Um, and that's kind of the masculine and feminine coming together. Um, and as the, the Taoist would have thought about it, and that's a, a production of something that is the confluence between chaos and order. Um, and that's sort of like the, the divine sun, if you will, that thing that is made in the image of, uh, you could say, in the image of God or the transcendent or the objective universe. It doesn't really matter what words you want to use, but that's what art is. Is like the is the human interaction with nature as to produce something that is in accord with, um, you know, the Taoists say the way or the great course or however you want to think about it. Dude, I just love hearing you talk, man. You use words. There was some word in the beginning that I didn't, I didn't know, don't know exactly a thousand percent what it means, and then 
when I heard you say the thing about um, cities being artificial, made, it made me think of like the Joe Rogan bit that like we're like bacteria, this like weird uh, multicellular viral disease um, that like spreads out and like causes its own form of chaos with which we interpret as order to be. But it's like if you fly over and get this bigger wor world shattering bird's eye view perspective from flying over our fucking great cities here in America, um, or what we espouse as great cities here in America, um, that they like, they just look like how you said, like giant slabs of concrete and gray and like disgusting comparatively speaking to like a giant mountain range or like the ocean that isn't filled with the part that isn't filled with garbage or like Hawaii or the Amazon, any of the places that like you would see it as like exasperating beauty that like would take your breath away and then the um oh, there's a part at the end uh that made me think of um wow so many so much information um a dave Chappelle thing but i can't remember exactly what it was now um something about oh yeah the, the artists artists are um we can we like where some people, some human beings are able to like look at things intellectually and something some people are, are able to look at things emotionally, but artists can like blend those two things together and find and or generate meaning and translate meaning of symbols and messages that non-artists aren't able to do because they I guess, in my opinion, if I could speak for the, the non-artists, would be like, they don't use their imagination as much, so they can't play with or be comfortable in not knowing exactly how things are, and or generate that, like, um, I almost want to say it's like a, a gummy, fluid, like, viscous thing that, like, is in between how people are told that it is versus your ability to create and come up with what it could be. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it reminds me quite a lot of this quote. It gets attributed to a bunch of people, including Nietzsche, though I'm pretty sure he didn't say it because I've read his works and it doesn't come up anywhere. But it's something like those who saw them dancing there thought them mad for they could not hear the music. And I've experienced the same thing, you know, once um, I, I like to think in terms of like the big five personality model because it gives language to describe this. Um, well, one of the aspects there is openness to experience. And what I've noticed is once people hit something like the 90th percentile, which is actually quite a big deal, um, if you know the any viewers or listeners don't know about percentiles versus percentages to, to give us some context, you know, percentage, each percentage point is of equal distance between the one next to it. That's not true with percentiles. It's sort of like out of 100 people, you're the most uh, whatever the trait is. And as it approaches the tails, it typically gets more and more extreme. It's like an exponential curve as opposed to um, a an even, uh, I guess, even curve. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know the words for it. Is it linear? Yeah, Maybe. it's not linear. Yeah, linear curves, right? Uh, or linear, I don't know if it's 
a linear curve Function. makes sense. I guess it does. Yeah, who knows? You know more than I. Uh, <laughs> but, curve, yeah, straight line, yeah, right. Yeah, but the point is, like, someone who's at the 80th, I think someone who's at the 90th is twice whatever that is at the 80th, right? Like, it's, it, yeah, yeah. And so what you see is with, with people who are very, very high in trade openness, um, I don't know what it is, but there is something different where there it's as if um you know the artist can see something that is it's literally invisible or can hear something that is not present or feel something uh that, that others cannot feel um and you hit that 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 hard wall right like it's uh you know, you, you perhaps you, you know, out there listening or anyone listening, this is probably very high in trade openness. And you probably have this common experience where you're talking to someone about something you've experienced or this idea or this particular art that you're working on. And they give you that glassy eyed stare. And it's, you know, like that does not compute. Um, right, yep. And yeah. And, and what do you think that is, uh, Zycon? Like what, what's the, because I don't know what the difference would be. It's not like, I'm born or that you're born or any of us are born with some special part of our brain. I don't think, uh, you know, so is, you know, is this inherent? Is this learned? What, what's happening? So I've, I'm glad did you asked me this because I feel like I do have some type of answer, um, based on experiences that I've had in my life. Um, the glassy does not compute, um, stare, I've heard it described in maybe not so friendly terms of like the fluoride stare. Uh, I have a self-proclaimed uh, degree in conspiracy theories or whatnot, or just my mind is open to the possibility uh, that the government isn't telling the truth all the time uh, to be so bold to make that claim. And specifically that I've had this experience that I'm thinking of now with um, my aunt Elizabeth where when I was very much deeper and my ego was very much more like tightly wound around feeling like I need to open people's eyes or espouse what I feel like is true or what is true for me to them and have them come to a similar realization and like get behind me and like be my crowd with the pitchforks trying to do something cause cause a scene that she would give me that like stare or she would say you're using such big words or like weird language and I don't really get what you're saying like it sound you're set you sound like a college professor talking about all this quantum physics and stuff that you say that you know that I don't have a degree in or anything i Clearly, I don't understand the numbers and, and the, but as an artist and intellectually, I'm feel like I'm capable of understanding what the information means. So when I had that, and when I learned this word, it's called the apperception, which I, I just love that that's like a thing. Um, because what it means, the word is when you hear an idea or see the words on a page and it goes into your mind and it bounces around and uh, stews or ferments in all of the previous 
ideas and information and your identity and then it comes back out through that lens of you and, and it, you interpret it to mean what you think that it means whether it, that is actually the case or not so when you're just talking the simplest way that i can say this is that like you're not gonna use the same language in a college or a phd level course to explain an idea or concept to people as you are with kindergartners or first graders or five third fourth or fifth graders like the younger children the people who don't have any type of expertise or the background the layman you're you can't use the specialized language that you could with an expert um i think it was einstein said that like if you can't explain something to, at that fifth to kindergarten level then you really don't know it well enough or you're not like proficient or an expert in it now i'm paraphrasing but that's what i think that is a lot of the time when you get the glassy-eyed fluoride stare if you're especially if you're going on the, in the deep end of philosophical truth and, and or conspiratorial truth you're definitely going to get that a lot but even if you're just like describing something that the person has never heard of before it's like they, they literally it goes in their ear hits nothing because there's nothing for it to resonate with and then it goes right out back the other ear and you're just like i don't no maybe like that's what i think it is personally okay so that's like a combination of factors there can be um, a lack of experience so someone just gets overloaded and so like like you said just passes through them because there's like there's no harbor for the idea to sit at um and it, it could be that the i had an image of someone um trying to to juggle and if they don't they can't keep up you know enough of the objects you, you drop them all right you mm -hmm. drop all the objects um i i also have an image of just a language barrier where the person's trying to understand but again just using too many words that they don't know um and that could cause the juggling problem and that could cause the lack of harbor problem um yeah so maybe like the the stare is fundamentally my fault you know i've had a conversation like this with others and uh, tell me what you think, because this is an interesting idea. Uh, when trying to describe some some idea, particularly in regard to art and, and, and symbolism, I have been asked to reduce things down and have as far as I can. But I find that at a point I hit, uh, it's like a lowering of the resolution where mm. I run into this, uh, this conundrum. It's a conundrum because... If I reduce the resolution, if I if I simplify things, I lose information and risk giving the person the wrong idea. Uh, mm. But then obviously I can't give them the whole idea. So then maybe I could give them a part of the idea. But then giving them only a part does not allow someone else to understand um, that idea outside of its fuller context. Uh, have you ever run into an issue like that before where... It's like I could simplify it, but if I simplify, you, you, you do simplify it. And then because it's simplified, there's missing pieces and they go in a wrong direction. Or you give them a small part that they can handle. And then when you give them the small part, they are like, I don't understand why this is important. And then if you try to give them the rest, it's like it all falls apart and you end up with the, uh, with the stare. Mm. Or maybe that's just me. It could just be me. I don't. I mean, maybe I haven't been teaching long enough 
who have had that. But maybe, honestly, so the, the thing that, because I was, I'm lo- I was looking, I was listening, but I was also, like, attempting to find a uh, metaphor or some some type of analogy that I could, like, use to, like, piece together how, uh, or uh, make it feel similar enough to be explaining archetypally or, like, um, essentially what we're, like, trying to think think around and talk about right now um, with this, like, pattern interrupt in the other person's train of thought or their, their thinking that you're trying to, like, distill the essence of something to a point where it's still is the um the masterwork or the a philosopher's stone but without diluting it to a point where like they don't lose the the essence of it to repeat myself trying to use big words i'm i'm thinking about in jujitsu like you can you can show somebody like a fundamental technique from like the closed guard the arm bar or a triangle but if you try to show them the same technique from a different position or a sequence of things where if you start standing and then you get them to the ground and then you go into a technique from the same technique from side control it looks and feels completely different but fundamentally the same basic idea uh the axiom of what you're doing to get to the finished position of an armbar is still there, but you've built upon it like um, like the pyramids. Like you've built the foundation first, and then they kept putting the more and more stones or more and more ideas on top of it to get a incredible creation, but also like a, an incredible sequence of events that led up to the thing that you're trying to like have the other person be able to hold in their mind resonate with and actually come to like an understanding that you're there when i what i feel like understanding truly is is like the information is as sat in your mind enough that it like because i imagine i've used this imagery it's probably not even mine originally that like the conscious mind is like the very top of a river and then, like, the subconscious is everything that's going on below the surface. And then when, you can, when it sinks all the way into your physical body, when it's become unconscious and you are literally embodying it without being aware of it anymore, like, it's cemented itself. It's changed from elementally from emotional water into, like, I don't even know what stone even is or earth is as a thing, but... Um, it just yeah it just feels like it's unconscious we would describe earth as unconscious so yeah it like settles all the way to the bottom sediment layer of your being and is in you entirely and the one last thing that i want to say is that like the thing of like the student teacher dynamic of like you're giving them the idea but they don't really get it is like uh the i think it's it's Taoist that or lao tzu or he's like pointing at the fucking moon and they're like looking at his finger like the finger is the moon or something like that to, it, it, it's kind of where what, what i think yeah that is my uh, my experience of that was from enter the dragon bruce lee does that 
<laughs> he he does the whole pointing. Yeah, he points at, he points up, um, and then the student looks at his finger and he cracks him on the head. He's like, "Do not look at the finger, or you will miss all of that heavenly glory." Um, <laughs> but Bruce is a good reference point. You know, he had a when he was teaching martial arts, he had a set of symbols. You uh, you began with your the three symbols. You began with nothing. That was the first thing. As you learned the techniques, you earned uh, a symbol that was a yin yang. And then mm-hmm. as you advanced further, the yin-yang became an empty circle, which represented being in a state of nature, um, one with your nature, but unrefined. You move into the techniques, that's kind of the order uh, where you have all these ideas and the way that you're planned to use them, but you become a mechanical man, you become a technician. You're not doing art at that point because you're too worried about technique and you have to return mm-hmm to a state of nothingness, but having been transformed by going through the process of imposing that set of order on yourself and practicing the techniques, refining your instincts, and then returning back to them. And that sounds what you're talking about with uh, the practice of jujitsu. You have to have a fundamental, and then you have to explore each region of that fundamental. And as you do, you feel all of a sudden thrown in the wilderness because it's, this isn't like what I was I practicing. I don't understand how am I supposed to do this. And as you flesh it out, eventually you find out, oh, you know, a Kimura is a Kimura is a Kimura. An Umoplata is an Umoplata. It doesn't really matter what position I'm in. A triangle, whether it's with my legs or if I get you with my arms and do it, pull off a triangle with that, that's still a triangle choke, right? Like uh you know these are all you know that that's kind of returning back to bruce lee who is who i stole that from i think you know a punch is just a punch right um right yeah and, and then the question that comes to my mind is does this it seems to relate perhaps to what um art does to bring the conversation roundabouts back toward art because you could ask like what is the the function? Uh, I like to use the word function of art because I, I like to think in terms of um, the Aristotelian telos, or which often gets translated as purpose. But the reason why I don't like using the word purpose is I think the word purpose, particularly here in the West, is too egocentric. It's loaded on the idea that you have an intentional purpose that you're aware of, as opposed to incorporating all of the unconscious purposes that you're not aware of, but are nonetheless part and parcel of you and are working uh, alongside mm-hmm. the ego to fulfill some end, which end is probably a better better translation for telos. But that's that's kind of the question. Do you see a spot where like the telos or the end of art, the function of art plays into this um, development, uh, you know, of of starting let's say instinctual, like a child developing an idea and te- uh, techniques uh, or, or whatever it happens to be, and then returning to the childlike state of play where things have, have kind of become, again, simple. Is there com- some connection there with what an artist is doing? I would, I would hope so. So I'm, I'm hearing is it, we're trying to define or, or just speak on the evolution of of what you just what you previously described with with the um, imagery of Bruce Lee's imagery of like you start with not you start with nothing you're born with whatever roll of the dice that you got from your parents and their ancestors with your faculties whatever they may be the nature as it were and then you're nurtured cultivated hopefully 
intentionally and lovingly by said by said parents and ancestors, grandparents, extended family. Um, so I'm imagining the um, I don't actually know the exact word for it, but just the the bell curve or the upside down parabola, but specifically like within a narrative format and like all of the things like the exposition rising, a climax falling and a resolution um, kind of thing. Uh, and then also obviously that's mirrored in like the hero's journey, even though I've seen that as like described as like the imagery wise is, is the circle um, or at least the graphics that I've seen on the internet. That's what I have to have seen that described. But sim all, all is one and one is all um, as above, so below. And that when you return back down or come full circle, that you are essentially after you've mastered the mechanical techniques as as a master of whatever medium you do, builder, painter, writer, you essentially are attempting to return back to your original nature of the childlike imagination, at least specifically as like an artist. Yes. No. That's what. That's what. Yeah, I'm absolutely. To... Yeah. You know, this might be useful. It might be interesting. So, um, I could take a moment to describe a little bit of my own journey as an author, which fits really on that pattern. And there's two different perspectives too, because there's like me as a writer, but then there's also the reader at the other end, who, to whom, as an author, you must relate. Right? You have a reader. You're not alone, really. So, mm -hmm. when I first started writing, um, it was a lot of fun. Um, I didn't think about it too much. I could produce mass amounts of content very fast because I wasn't really worried about it because I didn't know anything. Um, this mm -hmm. is, you know, back in early uh, university, uh, I was going in for an exercise physiology degree, which is what I got, by the way. My my bachelor's is, has nothing to do with English or writing at all. Um, yeah, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist. And then I was like, nah, I'm going to try and write books. And I've been poor ever since. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but the but the, the beginning of that journey was this exploration. Just like, you know, if you are a reader, um, oftentimes you just dive into the book and you don't really know why exactly you like it. But you don't need to know why either. You just, you, you would say to someone, I just enjoy it. There's something about it. As you develop, or as I developed, um, I began to learn a number of skills. I uh, had to do a lot of self-study. I essentially, at the beginning of my journey, realized like, oh, I need to teach myself grammar. I literally just got a textbook and like spent weekends just for like hours at a time reading through a textbook. Like how, how exactly are these commas supposed to work? Reading all little contradictory rules, it, it's infuriating. But, uh, and then I eventually went to grad school and got my MFA. Um, and I learned tons more techniques there. And then I uh, ended up finishing after like six years of this journey, my very first novel, Salt, Sand and Blood. And it was uh, a bit of a mess, right? And like, and, which is kind of painful, right? You get done, it's like been almost, you know, more than half a decade. You devoted like your whole life into something, you come out and you're like, this isn't actually very good. Uh, and the reason why <laughs> is because I was in that, well, I was in that technical phase. Right. I was obsessed mm -hmm. and, and for good reason with the playing with language and the attempt to make things complex and interwoven with lots of symbols everywhere. But it was I was doing it too consciously. Right. And so it came out stilted and contrived. It did not have that flow. It did not feel like a dance uh, and it needs to feel like a dance. Uh, you know, and thus begs Zarathustra. Um, there's a chapter called, I think it's on reading and writing. 
And toward the end, uh, Zarathustra says something like, uh, I would only worship a god who knew how to dance, right? Which is to say, <laughs> yeah, right? And it's like, it's the, the, the decision to hold as most high that which brings joy in so much that it is moved, it is compelled to move, because again, here's the music. Um, and then when I went back and wrote my second book, uh, Wand Smoke, and from thenceforward, I had a rule to myself, is um, I didn't want to be, again, steal some words from Thus Begs Zarathustra, weighed down by the spirit of gravity, who looks upon all with this level of seriousness. Um, I decided I was going to try to have fun again, um, which I, mm -hmm. I had not realized until afterwards that I had taken away from myself. Um, I had become, again, a mechanical man trying to serve the, the masters of the, the technical. And well, what about a reader, right? We can relate that back to a reader, that phase. If you start to study literature, um, something terrible will happen to you. You will no longer be able to enjoy much of what you're reading because you'll be looking at it for all the errors, right? It's like the, it's like <laughs> someone who just started studying cinematography, right? When you start, yeah, uh, you hear this from literary critics, like they can't see a movie anymore for a movie. They see all the direction and the, like uh, how the set was constructed and like the costumes and the acting and they're, they're no longer engrossed in the movie. It's only once you're enough past that that you're willing to let go again to say, I get that. I'm going to trust this as an author. I'm going to trust that I am going to not consciously try to do those things, but that I trust myself to do them in the act of play and to allow these things to arise spontaneously from um, not just my ego, not just this up here, but from the whole of the body. Um, and as a reader, then that is coming back to enjoy things not in spite of their imperfections, but because of them, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's a huge, you know, something I run into, I've read, um, you know, like uh, I've, I have Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, but I never got around to it. But I have read all through all of Epictetus, which I like a lot because he's a little bit more crazy and extreme. And the Taoists do the same thing, uh, Lao Tzu and uh, Zhongzi. Um, and then the I Ching even, who's the mysterious authors who we don't know, um, write about the same stuff where it's, you know, once you can let go and um, allow yourself to act naturally in accordance with your nature as it corresponds to nature writ large, that's kind of that order and chaos we were talking about before, coming together to then produce art. In the beginning of um, the Tao Te Ching, I can't remember which chapter it is, it's like probably three or four or something, um, Lao Tzu points out that you should find, you, sh you should create in the world and take pleasure in that which you create, which is to say, to find joy in the act of being and doing itself, you know, uh, and it's kind of a loving the journey, rather than mm. the the destination. And I think in that, in all of that, that I've just rambled on about for several minutes, boring everyone to tears. Uh, I'm think... engrossed, dude. I, I love listening to you talk. <laughs> well, you're, so, well, you're very you. wise. You have a lot you have read so much that I need to read. And I just, you, you say words that I don't hear other human beings ever say, man. So like, it's very, don't sell yourself short and don't think that other nerds out there won't be like, what the fuck are these two crazy people talking about? This is very interesting. If they don't think that, I don't know, they're not interesting to me. And that's like the number one sign to be interesting is to be interested in 
ever like other people and being able to relate to other people like i got this whole weird tangent kind of thing that like on this random other discord server that i'm a part of that like this person was like we were fundamentally alone and like i wanted to argue with him a little bit but i kind of like had to agree at the, uh, at the end of the day and i just didn't like how nihilistic his flavor of describing aloneness was and i was like yes but like don't don't be that way don't don't be so hard or down dapper down about it but uh yeah, hard, well, that guy needs to he needs to read more more Nietzsche, you know, because you read Nietzsche in high school and you're like nihilism, ma'am. And then if you go and read Nietzsche as an adult, you can understand it a little bit more and you realize, no, no, no. It's like Nietzsche dares you to stare at the abyss and ride full into it on an exhausted horse with the reins flapping in the wind, screaming and howling in glory as you dive down. Uh, and the birth of tragedy talks about like the the new philosophers that are coming to be and he calls them uh dragon slayers who stare with an undaunted gaze at all the uh you know challenges and things they're going to have to overcome in the world and i love that image right of the the madman with the sword soaked in black dragon blood reveling in the fact that he has leviathans to slay it's like the coolest image in my head <laughs> i love that line man so much uh, badass man and, and, you know, as artists, we might very well be doing a, somewhat of a service to that. So I'm ripping this from Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson, because that's where I originally heard the idea from. But like going through that whole process I just talked about, what you you do is what I, I perhaps have failed to do a number of times, which is through the process of nothing to the technical back down to nothingness again, but then surrounded by a structure of self you can represent that thing that you could not understand before, but in a way that has in it the distilled essence of, like you mentioned before, of what it was that perhaps I have many times tried to describe to someone, but in a way that they can actually experience it, right? Like, so they don't mm -hmm. get bogged down in the technical. They don't feel overwhelmed. There's something of it that accords with them because it has within it that essence of innocence that you're meeting that person at you know mm -hmm. um and you know I, I guess i could only hope that you know as an artist particularly as a as an author because that's uh, i love music but i have no musical skill and my visual art skills are even worse um but but as an author at least you know i hope to be moving toward that to where my work as deep as i enjoy writing it also appeals to anyone who picks it up at a deep, deep level. Um, and uh, Zykon, you do a lot more, you're, you're, you're much more of a uh, master of all trades than I am. So can you tell me about your experience? Like, have you had this experience? And then have you had it across different art mediums that you participate in? The trying to go full circle and distill the complex into the simple, simple without losing the essence of it. Yeah. Have you, have you had a, a chance to get through that and any of your various uh, modes of art, even even if just, you know, once in, in the glimpse of the moment where you, you touch upon uh, the essence of things? Yeah, I'm thinking that definitely in my writing, I'm, I guess I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to use the allegory and metaphor of the hero's journey to and working and weaving in the uncomfortable and bitter truths of reality for people that if 
I'm hoping that it like tickles their brain in the right way that it's even if they're completely innocent that when they if they were to read it before attempting to like devour and digest those bitter truths of reality uh, that they'll they would see that I was using the story as a medium to do that. And then and and maybe I, I definitely not so much in music because I just don't feel like I'm really there yet at least with my understanding of music theory and how to translate that through the instruments into the sound because people people don't people you with music specifically you can just listen to it and have zero technical knowledge of what is going on and it can just still sound incredible like how you were describing that um literary artists or literary uh critics like just are always there dissecting the art instead of like uh, experiencing it i've i do that with with comedy uh may, maybe not so much with music other than like i mean I sometimes i but my thing with music is like i listen to it a lot there is the there's like ambient sound or instrumental which there is no words and then because allegedly i mean if you look up the dish uh, the definition of music like it, it actually does need lyrics um there's like a different that's why i have to describe it as ambient sound or instrumental and like i i feel like sometimes i'm a very incent incendiary person that like i have my perspective and that like the other people who self-describe themselves as musicians would just be like no i make music like maybe but like if it's electronica with with no words that it's just like compressed air or there's like a different word for it it's like a a ditty or some other word that i'm not thinking of right now but music so yeah but with like with comedy and uh no nah, i guess not so much with writing but like comedy and music specifically i have that like i don't i want to say like commentators curse or just like that i have i or like a scientific mindset within it that like I dissect it or I like I listen to it or I almost it's like I feel like I almost become numb to it that like only a very certain sect of funny ideas or the way that the person goes about saying it actually gets me to laugh because for better or worse there's like comedy specifically is like this whole giant like ego tripping validation thing that like you know that what you're going to say is going to get the that their bodies to react in a unconscious way that they literally don't have enough self-control or like you're through the use of your diaphragm and your fu your funny bones that like you're getting them to give you the validation with that you seek as a comedian um, but again, that's just my interpretation. Other comedians probably don't see it exactly in in that way. Uh, but I, I'm very like, I try to be self-aware and extremely cerebral slash analytical with things to a certain degree because, and I've always been this way that I, like self, self-reflection and self-awareness just always felt like, and being authentic and organic felt very much better to me. Like I would rather have like, a few very very close and deep relationships with, with other authentic people versus a lot of like shallow not trustworthy or like shady people that are all like quote unquote my friends but if i like called them 
and needed something and it would just blow me off or like not be there to support me i'm like what's the real what are we really doing here like this is just a waste of my energy and your energy but i i just i never could deal i never enjoyed that as, as a person and i hope that answered your question because now i feel like i want a tangent on the uh, if it's a tangent it's a good one yeah uh, i have a question in mind as a kind of follow-up but um you know for those out there listening just to, to speak very shortly or briefly um yeah that that's the the worst thing in life when you when, when you you know you've especially when you've engaged in um friendships with people and or even just business relationships where you've given and it's like there's a, a moment for reciprocation and then you get denied and dropped and you have that bitter taste in your mouth it's like oh okay i see what this is now you know you kind of mm. start to you feel naive uh you feel betrayed and you have to for me anyway i have to swallow down that uh spirit of vengeance um mm. that that's uh i write about it a lot in my fiction and if anyone has ever read anything i wrote you wonder why it's because like i'm constantly struggling with it like there's like a demon on my back trying to pull me down into hell <laughs> so uh, are we all imperfect but uh the question i thought there particularly in regard to your uh comments on on music versus instrumentals so i don't know a ton about this but nietzsche brings it up a couple times um particularly in his earlier work because he was good friends with uh richard wagner who's a um, famous german composer and a lot of if you listen to classical music you've heard wagner you probably just don't know that you've heard richard wagner and there was this idea floating around at the time um and jordan peterson has repeated it. it's where i originally heard it from and then you read nietzsche and he says it too that uh, music is like the purest form of art because it doesn't make reference to anything outside of it and this would be uh, i guess what he's talking about isn't music in the sense that you described it would be instrumentals let's call them that for lack of a better word so we've got instrumentals uh and actually nietzsche in birth of tragedy talks about the profanation now i i don't like this because i write which means i do a lot of i, I write in words and if i anything mm. close to music is poetry so like i'm totally guilty according to nietzsche but um when you add lyrics to something you are uh let's say you are making that thing let's say closer to humanity, but further from the transcendent by the imposition of human ideas, as opposed to pure instrumentals being something like a waveform, right? But it, it that affects you at a deep emotional level, but that um, doesn't exactly imitate anything. Because some, some sounds do, like you can make sounds that imitate the rain or imitate certain birds or the wind. But there are a lot of sounds that could be made that don't seem to imitate anything, yet they have a particular profound effect on the individual. So with all that being said, uh, what do you think of that claim? I think it was originally made by Wagner uh, to Nietzsche when they, were, when they were friends before they're falling out, that music, particularly instrumental music, is the purest of the art forms. Do you think that's valid or do you think Richard Wagner... Uh, do you think that goes in the dustbin along with his infamous anti-Semitism? <laughs> Rip. <laughs> oh, man, there's a, there's a concept that we should definitely not talk about. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I won't bring it up again. No, no, just, yeah, just stay stay far away from that one. That's, uh, <laughs> there's a, there's, they just, 
<laughs> Damn it, dude. You said it. I'm like, all, all I want to say on it now is that, like, the history of Judaism is so complex and convoluted. There's a reason that people can't understand it because it's like, it's like trying to understand art. It's, there's just so much going on and there's so much history that, like, these people stole from these people, that's who stole from these people. And, like, we don't, without a PhD level background or like hours and hours and hours spent trying to understand what the, what the heck is actually going on with that group of people, like everything that you say as a critique to them, they just say is you hate us because we're the uh, epitome, epitome, archetypal victim of history that, but that's enough on, on the Jews. <laughs> Um, what the fuck what was the other thing uh, music as the, the purest art form yeah, dude I mean I just because for me at least when I think of art and I think when most people think of art but again I'm just one person in, in the sea of humanity is that like I think of visual art of like somebody sitting down with a, with a pen and paper paint and a, and a canvas and drawing and or painting something um, but I, it's, I've never heard of or thought about it like that because you can translate your emotions through the sound without the words. Like if you play something hard and fast and with a lot of like tension and like people unconsciously or subconsciously will be like, that person is like expressing anger through the sound or if you play something quietly and like sensually or like depending on like what key you're using um it'll whether that be major minor or uh, any of them any of the modes that like it'll completely and utterly change the feeling and the emo or the the way that the sound evokes the emotion in the subconscious and unconscious. I mean, like part of me is like, I could agree with that because I I'm still young and I haven't experienced all the different kinds of art in the world. And I, I probably never will because everything is always changing and evolving. But the, another part of me, that's like the, the rebel in who wants to be the contrarian just for the sake of being the contrarian to make people think differently is like, Nah, there's no way. Like some something else could be the purest form of art. Like uh <laughs> making love in in the sexual sense, like that could be the purest form of art in in like in the fact that like I think that that essence of the instinctual need to like connect and reproduce drives at least the probably both both genders and both mediums of, of gender um polarities that like they they both are driven by that like need to connect and be validated and, and seen and felt and heard um so i the contrarian is me is like sex is the ultimate or, thing of art because there's also like that level of it being instinctual and subconscious and unconscious and biological and pheromones and all those things but the part of me that's like wants to just not be incendiary or start fights is like yeah i mean i could see it that way too that like music because it is also like it could i don't know if it would really be the original 
art form technically because before language like body language and like sound coming out of your throat was probably how people express themselves like you made a sound when like somebody did something that you didn't like or you made a sound where you're like they're <laughs> like you, you like that and you want them to do do it more like you thought that was funny so you laugh which is like unconscious or subconscious it just you just it just comes out of you naturally so yeah maybe sound is the purest form of art but maybe not I, 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 part of me is like i don't want to i don't want to like put put a draw a line in the sand or make, make a claim because like i could i could be wrong god forbid and then like learn something but i don't know man that's fucking that's a trip right there i never i'm gonna have to like be thinking about that forever i wouldn't i wouldn't describe that as a as a cursed idea per se because i love that those are even a things that you can like once you are become aware of it you it, you can like put it away and forget about it for a while but like truthfully like it's always you're it's like always part of your like bubble of ideas that's floating around above you and that or below you or above you i don't even know anymore but i don't know man maybe yes <laughs> i guess i don't know yeah well Anyone listening, let us know what you think in whatever comment sections happen to be nearby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So seriously, do let us know what you think. Um, I, I wanted to ask, while well, we still have time, about the muse, um, because we've, we've talked about art and what it is and what it does. Uh, we talked about the purest form of art. We haven't really talked so much about inspiration or to be filled with spirit, if those of you haven't looked at that word, in like to inspire, to be filled with spirit, because yeah, people believe your breath was life. So like, what what's the muse, man? I don't know, dude. Sometimes it possesses me. There's definitely times where I'll like sit down and consciously try to write things or come up with patterns of, of compressed air with the guitar. Um, but then I've, I've had this happen multiple times now where like through literally in my dreams, I will like, or I'm waking up in the early morning when you're still coming out of or entering into the, the dream, the dream realm that I literally get possessed. There's like, I don't know how you, if this is a thing that you've experienced, but that like, for me, especially after smoking dmt like i i hear this like uh, people can scientifically be like it's just tinnitus you just have ringing in your ears dude but it's not all the time and it like comes and goes in very very visceral like i've heard it described spiritually as like potentially possibly being that like your dna is crystallizing and upgrading but i don't i don't i can't I measure that scientifically specifically so i don't know but that like back of my ears hearing this ringing and then it like translates itself through the ringing into thought and then like i wrote an entire song which is on my first album cherry valley check that shit out on spotify or wherever you listen to music that's because it's on youtube too um it's called um universal mirth but mirth is spelled m-e-a-r-t-h because I'm still a wordy poetic geek who loves to make puns that like that song started as a poem because this woman that I had been in a balloon twisting class with described her struggles with suicide. And I resonated so much with that, that my creative muse 
translated that emotional context between us into an entire poem that I then curated into it being or refined it or like cut it down to be less wordy so that it could could be lyrics in a song. And then I wrote the music for it after I had all the words. And then it is now that finished, quote unquote, finished thing. Um, and so like that, I don't know exactly how how she works, but like th th that specific thing, I, I can't ever put the genie back in the bottle or the smoke back in the transformer after experiencing that. Like that shit literally possesses me. And like, I just try to listen to her the best I can. and. I, I say it's a her and I don't know I, that feels accurate to me because like it isn't the muse I want to say it's like a, a Greek like thing that is or it's around like the the feminine but I could be wrong about that but that's just like yeah I think that's what the muse is at least for me it's like this the the, the divine feminine coming down and being like, yo, like here, here is your, uh, flavor or your like take on this and using your emotions and your ener sexual energy, like do, do this, here you go. You have this, do this, like be, be this way. If that makes any sense. I know it probably sounds a little crazy, but no, no, it, well, it doesn't sound crazy to me. Maybe to our audience, they think you're mad. Yeah. But, uh, I'll, I'll try to convince them otherwise. So three different thinkers come to mind, Joseph Campbell, um, Yoon and Nietzsche. So if you open up beyond good and evil, the, um, I think it's the introduction. It's, oh man, when I, when I read this, I laughed out loud. Uh, it was great. So he says, uh, supposing truth were a woman, what then? No. And then he then he goes forward from there. It is it is great, but the that image uh, actually oh is goodness. quite profound, right? So we'll come back to that. So dude, Nietzsche, that, truth, supposing <laughs> truth were a woman, what then? Uh, basically, he goes oh on to God. say that like all the philosophers seeking truth are trying to win a woman by really underhanded and crappy means, and like she's just like rejecting them all, um, but. <laughs> But I think that's right, uh -huh, right? Here's dude. why. Yeah, it is, dude. That hurts my heart so much. That's so true. Holy shit. But but look, Van, watch. So the Greeks, you're right, the ancient Greeks, pre-Socratic Greeks, and then even of the time of Socrates and onward, they talked about the soul as feminine, right? So like your soul is feminine. Yun would say the same thing. In a man, He his ego is masculine. But his emotional side is feminine, and it's represented by the anima. Um, now, that anima is like the Greek idea of the soul, um, and it is between the ego and the unconscious, or the, uh, let's say, the mind and the emotions, that you can have a creative union that brings something into being. Now, how does Campbell come in, into this? Well, there's... It's not Campbell exactly. Uh, it comes from, I think, the uh, Bhagavad Gita, um, I think is where he got the story from, not the Holy Vedas, though it might be in the Vedas. I, I can't remember. It's about Krishna, either way. Um, there was a an Indian king. His brother is rebelling against him, and he has to go and kill his brother in battle, and he doesn't have the heart to do it. And he says, you know, I, I can't do this. So Krishna shows up, and he's like, 
All right, dude. I'm going to I'm going to show you my true face. You ready, man? Are you ready? And he oh, no. then he reveals the true face of God to this dude and he, and what he sees is horrific and terrible beyond belief. Um, he essentially sees the inevitable chaotic death and suffering that uh, is intrinsic to all human being itself. Um, and then the guy's like cowering in a puddle of his own piss. And Krishna comes back is like, look, man, this is the fate of, of everything. And so your little struggles, man, your little struggles mm. are nothing. Do Fulfill your dharma. Take your rightful place. Put down your rebellious brother. And that is better than allowing him to be a tyrant and bringing forth all the terror I just showed you into being sooner. Um, and why am I saying that? <laughs> well, it, in, the, in that story, in that story, it's a suggestion. You see this mirrored in Christianity, too. It's why God never shows himself to anybody. It's always like through a burning bush or something. Because there's the mm -hmm. idea that if you were to look upon the true face of God, it would be so horrific beyond belief that it would destroy you. Well, I used to say Lovecraft is right, right? His like the idea is like you look upon the face of the elder gods, the creators of being, and you see the gibbering mouth of Azathoth and you get consumed in madness. And why is that relevant to the soul as feminine and the idea of truth being a woman? Well, think about what happens to you as a man when you get rejected by a woman. Think about that, right? So you look like you you approach and she rejects you, and then it's like nature or reality itself, truth itself looks at you and says, "Not you. You don't deserve mm -hmm. to perpetuate in in your your existence." And At least I think not in that situation because <laughs> it's a it's a numbers game. Gotta, <laughs> you at least have to remind yourself that it's a numbers game and not try to take it personally. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm good enough for like. Just not with you. Mm. Um, that that is the right attitude, but in the moment it sucks. Uh, so yeah. these are going to seem like disconnected ideas. Let's see if I can wrap them all together. So the muse, the muse Yoon. I mentioned Yoon before. Yoon would say it's that emotional, creative side of you that calls to you. That once it's it's like a woman who wants to love you if only you could bear to love her and to bear to love her is that human imposition of order onto the chaos but that means you have to look upon the chaos the face of god and make something out of it through a terrifying and painful process of some form of sacrifice of time of energy of your ego like you have to let go of control and uh, and and, and and kind of trust that like she's not going to devour you because she might be Kali and she might, you know, devour you so that she can give birth to you so that she can devour you again. And maybe she will do that a, a number of times. Maybe you'll write 20 songs and they all suck and it throws you into the pits of depression before you get the one that like is amazing. Like maybe that happens. Mm. Um, so in terms of the muse being that, I think the muse is like the part of our soul that corresponds to the transcendent that it's like our it's like our image of the the emotional image of the transcendent the archetype of of how we can relate to the transcendent um that we we interact with almost like it's um it's a way that we can ex be let's say filled with that spirit without being destroyed because we needed to have a human image, if that makes mm. sense. That would be my idea of of the muse. Um, 
I don't know. Maybe that all just sounds like crazy nonsense. What do you think? No, dude, that sounded really fucking profound and extremely like some 18 year old kid who's listening to this probably isn't going to be able to fucking intellectualize all that and like have it hit their app reception and catch catch everything. But go back and listen to that a, a few times, man. Like, I felt very, very apt, quite the as close as I feel like I've come to an accurate description of the dynamic of needing this needing this relationship in your life that's significant and eternal but is limited by our lifespan and our choices that we have as as a man and that like we we heterosexually want as close to returning to the unconditional love that we hopefully received from our from our mother but in in a vessel in in a woman that isn't anymore and then i've i've heard some more nihilistic takes that it's not really possible it doesn't really work that way and i like there's constraints to it and it's there's condition and limitation and uh that all unfortunately or fortunately i don't know truthfully that like all relationships are in some way transactional but that like it's really just that like the stronger a relationship is and the more you can overlap um your two uh, circles of being into like a larger and larger uh vesica pisces uh, i think is the word um and overlap your self-interests in that that like the closer you are to like truly being whole or returning to wholeness with the other with the the other polarity of, of your of yourself um don't know if soulmates are a thing because that's another like fairy tale esque level thing but some people spiritually espouse that they're like you're looking for your soulmate you're looking for your other half but like you as an individual need to get whole and be well and be robust uh, or cultivated or refined before that because I, I genuinely believe if there are soulmates that there's different levels that like whatever if you you can continue to level up and increase your vibration um throughout your lifetime and that like wherever you are on your your spiral of your travels or of your life that like you'll just find the person or people along that path that as you mature or remain the same who just are constantly either challenging you or like matching where you are on your path so that you can either do the insane thing and continue to repeat the cycle without ever making a change or getting a different result or you can do the the self-reflective self-growing and changing and committing to being different than you were before and giving yourself the the three month time span or a year however much time it takes to truly make a long lasting change in your life so that you can find the next not next best thing per se but just another a person that you're hoping will will match you on your on your get on your wavelength when you're ready to do so yeah there's a 
a way of describing that I, I think perhaps will be useful to the listeners. You might like it as well. It involves alchemy um, and Buddhism, of all things. So weird to mix those two things together. Um, <laughs> uh, I've actually not read The Alchemist. I need to. It's like right up my uh, I got so good. stacks. So yeah. good. But with, you know, I will try to put that on my reading list this year. Um, but in terms of alchemy, in the hermetic sense, that was practiced throughout really time in regards to Buddhism, in regards to you know, you're, you're relating to other people, a particular relationship, like a long-form relationship. You mentioned the soulmate. Um, I have this I have this idea. It's not really mine. I've, a million people must have th said this a thousand times, but um, I, I say not just but also. What does that mean? Well, I think oftentimes we as human beings can think in false dichotomies very a lot. Mm -hmm. It's very easy. Like, you know, it's uh, it, it simplifies the world. It allows us to process uh, more easily. But I think most realities is that like nothing is just any one thing. All things mm -hmm. are a multitude of things depending on uh, the time, the place, the perspective, uh, the use of that thing in that context, et cetera, right? So like, you know, a microphone isn't just a microphone. It might also be like a paperweight. It might also be a weapon. If I hit someone with the bottom of it, it's quite heavy. Uh, it might be an intrusion. if I'm trying to look at something past it, right? Um, it could be uh, a tool for entertainment, but it could be a tool for work or, or it could be a tool for work and entertainment at the same time, like this podcast. Uh, so yeah, nothing hopefully. is just anything. Yeah. So nothing is just anything or any one thing. So when you talk about like a soulmate, right? And if you talk about both like finding the person for you and then growing, it's like, yeah. Or even if you speak about nihilism, like these things are true simultaneously. Things can have constraints, but also have a range of possibilities that are constantly growing, right? Because uh, I'll describe it this way. You know, Yoon might say, when you are looking for your soulmate, who your soulmate is depends on the condition of your soul and mm -hmm. the who your soulmate will, will be in the future can, depends on the, the co-condition of each other's souls in relationship to one another. And well, what does the condition of your, your soul mean? Well, this is where the nihilism comes in in Buddhism. So you find this in Taoism too. They, uh, they talk about being an empty vessel and you need to be an empty vessel as to contain emptiness. Why emptiness? Because emptiness is essentially something, I think it's something like the apperception that you're talking about, right? And if you look at apperception, it sounds like not perception, but that kind of means perception through not perceiving, right? Or uh, the Taoists would say like action through inaction, right? So mm -hmm. by not by not filling the space, the cup has utility and can now contain something. It's a Zen Buddhist idea. And right. I think fundamentally what the cup or the vessel, what we are as vessels are meant to contain is something the alchemist is giving back to alchemy called the alkahest. Now, if you're not familiar, the alkahest is a substance that reduces everything to its base elements, which you need this substance in order to take the first steps to make the Philosopher's Stone. You have to get the Philosopher's Stone out of Rotundum, which is like, it, it's like an unrefined version of the Philosopher's Stone where all of the four elements are cobbled together, but none of it's pure. It's all full of impurities. So you have to dissolve it down to then reconstitute it. That's a symbol of rebirth. Um, 
And I think we need to be able to contain the substance that dissolves everything down to its base elements as a means of purifying, in this case, ourselves. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, let's say you're relating to another person, right? And you have something about you that needs to change. Like your soul needs to to be refined because it, it has in it things that don't belong to you, things you've picked up along the way that are dragging you down or preventing you from walking across the path. Because maybe there's a mountain in your path and you need to climb it. But like, man, if you have shackles that people that you have allowed people to place on your ankles with these giant mm -hmm. iron balls, like maybe you can't get over the mountain. You need to you need to let those parts of yourself go. Or maybe they're not iron shackles. Like maybe like maybe you're carrying around like a backpack filled with gold bars and you think, oh man, look how lucky I am. I've got a backpack full of gold. I'm the richest man in the world. And then you hit this mountain and that thing that you think is precious to you is preventing you from going forward. Now, when you're an empty vessel and you have that alcohol, the substance that reduces everything down, you can, this is a, a I, I got this from reading uh, the Dhammapada in Buddhism. You can drink the alcohol and dissolve yourself. And through the destruction of the former image that you thought was you, you can now reconstitute yourself into who you could be, who is capable of continuing along the path. And I think oftentimes when we run into ideas that are nihilistic, um, they are in fact nihilistic, but they're also still part of life. Like you can encounter... Um, this idea like, okay, well, from the perspective of the universe, nothing means anything. That might be true, but if there's a perspective of the universe, is there not also a perspective that doesn't belong to the universe that is a human perspective? And from a human perspective, the things I do, the people I interact with, the way I interact with them, uh, the relationships I form, those matter because I'm a human being and not the universe. And so from the nihilism comes uh, the opposite of nihilism, right? This would be uh, uh, what Yun would call an enantiodromia, which is a reversal of opposites. Um, and for anyone that out there who is experiencing, this is kind of off the topic of art now, uh, and, and, but maybe it's not off the topic of the muse. You know, if you're stuck in a rut and you feel like nothing matters and you don't know how to get through, like you might need a bit of, would say dissolution. You might need, uh, Nietzsche would call it the Dionysiac, so like the god Dionysus, right? Like devolution. You might need to unwind as to rewind yourself tighter. Um, and that's the end of that long spiel. Uh, you know, I don't know how you feel about that. Disillusionment is a very, honestly, I want to say it's a confusing word because to be disillusioned, I, I read this book, uh, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior, uh, but I can't remember the author's name right now. I want to say it's Michael something, um, but I, don't quote me on that. I'll look it up in two seconds here. But that, like, the, in this in this book, he's going, he's he's like a very successful gymnast in his like basically in his prime, trying to get into the Olympics. Um, this is like his actual, he's alleging this is his actual life story, but he, the guy that he meets is some random gas station attendant. And it, the guy, he calls the guy Socrates either to, because that was his actual name or it's, it's one of those stories where like a similar story to like any of the time that someone meets a, a, a master of something that like, 
they go into like this crazy little bookstore they meet this really old asian dude who can like heat his hands up and like set things on fire that like but he's just trying to like live a normal life but he's been alive for a thousand years but he's just like pretending pretending like he isn't like this awesome archetypal like crazy strong human being who's if it is real that it would completely and utterly shatter the mainstream perspective on limitation and all of the things that like Wim Hof has kind of done where he's able to be submerged in ice for as long as he is and like maintain his body temperature like the people on the Himalayas can do up in the um, monasteries because they are have some level of self-control that through cultivating through breathing and um, exposure to cold and or less oxygen are able to like regulate their body temperature better and longer and that like he can get it Wim Hof can get injected with like diseases and do his breathing technique and control his autonomic nervous system which has been scientifically proven to to be the case so like we have mind has this extremely profound influence over matter that we still science is struggling to have to let go of and be disillusioned from its addiction to um materialist dogma um so maybe they need some of that uh that substance that you were just describing to like let let go of a little bit um of that but that the thing of going back to that 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 guy socrates not the greek philosopher but this dude in this book uh actually his name is dan millman i believe um that he meets meets the guy and he's like basically helping him like go through his like disillusionment process of letting go of his ego and how he thinks that the world is and like that he says that like i can't remember exactly but that like disillusionment is like is shitty but necessary that like you because people hold on to their illusions as if they're, they're trapped in the maya of time to, to to use the um hindu or uh, vedic idea that like you hold on to your illusions and you ego gets wound up and wrapped into them and believes them so much but to like realize profounder deeper muse inspired truths that like you have to be able to sit in that bitterness of disillusionment for a time and like have it not be okay reformulate and reimagine yourself and recreate yourself and then like that new version of you will be who you need to be for a time and then it'll all all comes undone again and it's just this rewinding and rewinding of your identity until until you are no more eventually don't rush that shit but that it's it is inevitable i think that because i would i would love to just continue to this forever and but eventually at some point we're gonna like like ah we talked about everything we guess we're done i i am thinking that or feeling into if you're open to it ending on on this question that i want to pose to you now is that is that okay or do you want to yeah yeah this is that, that was this is a good place to wrap it up so yeah hit me with the question all right so this one i um am borrowing 
or I will give the credit where credit is due. I didn't come up with this on my own. I was listening to this podcast called uh, Paul Check in 4D, um, and I'm he's got like, oh, I think it's over 200 some episodes. I think he's closer to 300 than 200, but I'm going to go through and try to listen to all of them because I'm per- trying to be a better willing witness to other people's majesty and magic and their whole experience that they've had uh because i i struggle i've always kind of struggled with this as a person because i had this weird experience as a, as a child of like going to concerts and it being like way too loud and overstimulating and i don't enjoy being at parties where i'm not the center of attention because it just like it just gets born to me very very quickly and it's like i know that's my own ego kind of like being a fucking turd in the punch bowl a little bit but that like so this process of like being a better willing witness is something that i like i'm trying to work on Anyway, the question that Polchek asked his guest that I thought was a very good one to go out on is that, like, if, God willing, hopefully not, but if you, we, were, we were both to die at the end, as soon as we stopped recording this podcast, what would you want to tell the world or, like, what nugget of wisdom would you feel like is the... What do you feel like would be the alchemical philosopher's stone equivalent to the words and sounds and emotions that you would want to leave behind as a legacy for the listener in the future or in the future, the future now or the now now for them to have and take on to their, their take on their journey of their to pursue. Hopefully they're pursuing their personal legend. I would want them to know that life is like a raging river and you're going to hit rapids and it's going to rock the boat. It's going to smash holes in the bottom. Um, You're going to taste the white water and you're going to think that you're going to sink. Um, You're going to rush to repair. You're going to regret ever embarking on the journey down this um, vast and seemingly endless river, but that it is just that it is, it's the river. It's not a judgment against you. It is itself the journey that you're on this, all of the struggles that you'll face in your life are the adventure. And these are the challenges that have been that you in a sense have chosen and that you should not you should simultaneously accept responsibility and not blame yourself for and to ride ride the ride the rapids ride the waves take the bends and don't worry about getting to the end i don't know i'm trying to sound profound there by rhyming but (laughs) (laughs) no the you still sound profound. It's just you you wanted to go with go out with a more poetic poetic ending. I think everybody likes to well not everybody likes to rhyme, but the 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 writer in you is like, man, dude, I want to be more poetic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, would it be uh, cliche or lame of me to answer my own question? No, no, please do. I'd like to hear. So as you were describing um, that beautiful idea of um, following following your heart or 
um, embarking on the journey or trusting the process, if I could surmise it in much less beautiful imagery and short shortening it into just that phrase. Um, what came to my mind and in, in my heart was trust your intuition along the journey. Trust trust the omens or trust the um, the messages from your spirit guides, your your angels, your ancestors, the, whatever is your psycho-spiritual philosophical take on th that concept of having a part of you that genuinely knows or like is able to tap into the the, the one and the all mind and receive the guidance that you need like focus on cultivating that whatever that is to you as an individual it's probably like it won't sometimes it won't make sense in the intellectual scientific way of cause and effect but that's because it's outside of cause and effect it's like you you're going in it through cultivating that sense of knowing in your body and in your heart or whatever is guiding you that like if you ignore it it is to your detriment but if you listen to it it is your greatest ally along the winding river of your journey that marquise just described so trust yourself love yourself and know yourself essentially oh i, don't, I think that was equally beautiful zycon thank you you just I just riffed off of what you said, I'm not gonna lie, but it, it felt very like poignant and it, if if me a decade ago could have heard that shit, I'd I'd have been like, damn, I hope so. That's that's let's let's try to do that. Let's figure out how to do that and like maybe someday I'll I'll make a course on it, but like I don't know. I'm not I'm not there yet. I got so many other projects that I need to finish first. But that, now that I say that out loud, I'm like, damn, maybe I really should try to like help people try to figure out how to connect with their inner knowing and their intuition so that's dope it's a good idea i'm glad i said that let us know in the comments if you want zycon to put together this course for you <laughs> sign up now yeah dude sign up now only fucking only your right arm and your left leg and uh your firstborn child oh, only that but uh are you we're we're good. We're gonna tie the tie the bow. It's officially. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you for having me on, man. I, I really appreciate it.